What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is the latest installment of the Locked on Blazers countdown and training camp. We're dedicating a full episode to every player on the roster and giving you a brief but thorough look at what they'll bring to the team. We'll look at how they performed last season. We'll talk best case and worst case scenarios. And then we'll round out the episode with a discussion of expectations and likely role they'll play with the Blazers. This is our 12th installment of the Countdown and Training Camp, so if you missed any, check your podcast feed and start catching up today. We're a week away from training camp. You can you can get all caught up in one week. Just check your feed, listen to all 12, know what you need to know about this roster. Today, for number 12, we're talking about number 27, the Bosnian Beast, all things Yusuf Nurkic. So let's get into it with a recap of his 2018-19 season. Yusuf Nurkic appeared in 72 games, all starts. Averaged 15.6 points, shot 50.8% from the floor, grabbed 10.4 rebounds, dished out 3.2 assists, and as long as we're doing verbs, swatted 1.4 shots. It's a great year for Yusuf. No doubt about it. No no way around that one. Career highs in points, career highs in rebounds, career highs in assists. Uh, it was a career high field goal percentage. Uh, the best he's ever shot from two-point range. Um, also, he made three-pointers for the first time in his career. He went three for 29 from deep. That's 10.3% for those of you scoring at home. I guess um, that's exciting because heading into training camp last year, there was this rumored long-range attack that was supposed to become part of Yusuf Nurkic's arsenal is he was going to become a three-point shooter a pick-and-pop threat from beyond the arc and he kind of spent part of preseason bombing away from three but he didn't really shoot threes once the season got going and that's fine it's actually good it's good I'll go further not every player in the league needs to shoot threes particularly people built and skilled like Yusuf Nurkic because if he's around the three-point line it means he's not around the rim and when he was around the rim last year he grabbed a career high 3.4 offensive rebounds a game. He helps the team by not being at the three-point line. And as just a side note, can the media people stop falling for this weird training camp trope where big guys are going to add a three-point shot? Of course he can shoot threes. Robin Lopez used to shoot threes in warm-ups. Doesn't mean they should. It's almost always a pipe dream. Don't fall for it. At media day, when someone says they're going to start shooting threes, when Hassan Whiteside starts talking about three-point range, don't fall for it, y'all. Don't don't get caught up in it again. Okay, back on track. While Nurkic didn't finish as efficiently at the rim as he did last season, that's from, uh, or as efficiently did in the 2017-18 season, that's 0-3 to three feet, according to basketballreference.com, his overall offensive decision-making took a massive step forward, and his defensive impact was the best we've ever seen from him. He was, by nearly every measure, or just watching him if you're into the eye test and hate the numbers, sorry nerds, this was the best professional season of his career. It's as good as he's ever been. And his season was dotted with some massive, massive production. Uh, The big one is the 20-25-5 game that he had on January 1st in Sacramento when he had 24 points, 23 rebounds, 7 assists, 5 steals, 5 blocks. It's one of those, you know, no player has ever done this with, had a 5x5 with 2020. Um, 
just a monster game, even if no one had ever done it. Uh, Blazers kind of needed him in that game. They didn't really pull away from the Kings team. The Kings were giving them trouble, and Yusuf did absolutely everything. I mean, 20, 23 rebounds is just a monster game. And a couple weeks later, he notched his first career triple-double. He had 10, 10, and 10. Ooh, that symmetry. It's so nice and round. Uh, on January 16th, that triple-double came. First triple-double of his career, got it before Damian Lillard, notably, and uh, just before CJ McCollum notched his against the Cavs. Um, a classic game where uh, Yusuf said he wasn't hunting a triple-double, but he was very clearly hunting a triple-double. One of the most beautiful things, um, him telling Damian Lillard, uh, here, run this play so you can shoot and I can get assist, and then going into the locker room and saying, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea how many assists I had, even though he very clearly was hunting it. Beautiful thing that I'll always remember. But the real story of Yusuf Nurkic's season is not the 2025 by 5 or me remembering him lying to the media. It's that it ended abruptly and gruesomely when he suffered fractures of his tibia and fibula in his left leg on March 25th and double overtime at home against the Nets. Nurkic laying on the court will be an image that will stick with me for a long time. Um, Damien... CJ McCollum, excuse me, coming out to bring him a uh, a towel to put over his face so he wouldn't be, you know, seen crying on TV by his teammates because he suffered this terrible injury is is something that I'll, I will never forget. It was um, just a really really tough moment to watch for so many reasons. Just one because you just the frailty of the human body you're reminded of it and it's terrifying, and two because he was playing his absolute best basketball he ever played, and to see him at that peak know that he's going to be, you know, that his, his you know, career, at least, it could be in jeopardy um, so quickly, just in an instant, is just, um, it's a, just a really tough thing to make sense of in the moment. I don't know if you if you do recall this from the game from that game the actual basketball stuff that kind of got overshadowed from that horrific moment was that he was he put up a season high 32 points he had 16 rebounds 5 assists and 4 blocks he was balling balling against the nets but his season ended right there March 25th Blazers marched on without him but he wasn't going to play again and I, and we'll talk about when he might play again Later up in the later on in the episode, but Nurkic wasn't done being around the team. He wasn't gone to he wasn't disappeared in rehab or back in Bosnia or moping somewhere in um, in Portland and just not not hanging out around the team. Sad, sad for himself. Instead, he surprised the team uh, by joining a film session at the practice facility. Had a game one of their playoff series against OKC. He walked into the room and famously said, "Heard you need some help, coach." And then in game five. Legend has it that he left his house with the Blazers trailing with about three minutes to play in the third quarter, only to have Portland storm back, close the game on a 13-2 run capped by Damian Lillard's 37-footer that clinched the series. I'm not sure that story is entirely true, guys. I've heard some conflicting things about when Yusuf might have actually been at the arena. But my guy understands that the truth should never get in the way of a good story. So even if he might have been at the arena a little earlier than he claims, the legend lives on. Nurkic appeared on the bench with the Blazers down eight, under three minutes left to, to play in the game. Portland pulled off a stunning rally. 
thanks to his presence and Damien Lillard's heroics. The moral here is never fact-check a legend. But that night, as maybe as surprising as anything, was that Nurko was walking around under his own power. He had a little a cast under his suit, some support for that leg, but, you know, he wasn't walking on crutches, and he was, um, he seemed to be moving, at least, he was, you know, walking around like a normal dude, maybe not like a basketball player, but like a normal guy. And by all accounts from the Blazers, both public and private, Nurk, who just turned 25, is on track and on schedule in his rehabilitation. But on track and on schedule still means that he's not going to return the court till probably February. And I'd bet the Blazers are overly cautious getting him back on the court. So that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. What's the ber- the best case and worst case scenario for use of Nurkic this season? We know it's going to be a little while until he's available to play, until he's back on the court doing things. But what would be the best case for Nurk, and what would be the worst case for him as he uh, continues his way back from a tough injury? Before we get there, I want to tell you guys about DoorDash. Long day at work? Still stuck at the office? Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, my listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code LOCKEDON. That's the DoorDash app, promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Check it out. Okay, so we went through Yusuf Nurkic's 2018-19 season. His absolute best season in the pros that ended so quickly and uh, and horrifically, really, for if if we're being honest, but I want to, I want to move on from that. I mean, not entirely because it's part of the context, but I want to talk best case and worst case scenarios for Yusuf. And the caveat generally with this segment and the other ones that I've done is that these are within reason and without injury. So we're only talking about MVPs. If guys can win MVPs and we're not really talking about injuries, we're talking about on court production with Yusuf. We do have to change the rules a little bit because I'm not going to talk about, you know, re-injury and all these things. I'm not a doctor. I have no idea. But the injury is part of the context. So we will discuss a little bit of, of health when we've usually avoided that at all costs because this is about stuff that happens on the basketball court. So what's the best case scenario for Yusuf Nurkic? It's that he's ready to go after the All-Star break and he resembles something of what he was last year. And what he was last year, in my mind, was one of the 30 best players in the NBA. He was an elite defensive player, a really, really smart offensive player. He had 19 games last year. We had five or more assists. He was a huge cog in that pick and roll for the Blazers. And on the other end, he was a space eater, a rebounder, and someone who really fit into Terry Stotts' system. So the best case for Yusuf Nurkic is that when he comes back, and I'm saying after the All-Star break because I don't think early February he's going to get going right away. So the best case scenario is that that second half of February, March and April, and into the playoffs, that Yusuf Nurkic looks like the Yusuf Nurkic you saw last season. Maybe it's in small doses, 15 minutes here, 17 minutes here, ramping up to 22 and 25 and playing closing important closing minutes and picking his spots where he can be as good as he, he has been. But the best case for Yusuf Nurkic is that this isn't a lost season. This is a season where, 
Sure, he misses 60 games, but he plays when it matters and he contributes at a really high level. The best case for Yusuf Nurkic is that early on, he's the best backup center in the NBA when he returns. There's no better backup center in the league and it isn't close. He's a dominant force off the bench in small minutes. And the best case scenario is that eventually he transitions to being a starting force. What that means with Hassan Whiteside, we'll have to figure out when we get there. But the best case for Yusuf Nurkic is that he's ready to go and he ramps up into being the player that you know he can be if you've watched him play. The worst case for Yusuf Nurkic is simple. It's that this is a lost season. It's that a serious leg injury, multiple fractures in his leg, holding up a 300-pound frame for a guy that has had a handful of uh, conditioning issues over the years is just too much to come back from. And he can't get all the way back to what he was, and he needs more time. The worst case for Yusuf Nurkic is that he never becomes that best backup center in the league because he's just not ready to be an NBA player in February. And he's not ready to be there in March either. And he's not quite ready in April. And then when the games really matter in the playoffs, it's uncomfortable turning it over to a guy who's still finding himself and finding his wind and getting back into the condition that it takes to play basketball at the highest level. The worst case for Yusuf Nurkic is that the 2019 or 2020-2021 season is the first time that we really get a chance to see what he can be like post-injury. We just never get a glimpse. He's not ready either for health reasons or for conditioning reasons or, or any number of things. It's that this injury actually does take more time than the 11-month timeline that he needs. And really to get back to playing basketball at the highest level, he needs more like 15 months. And the Blazers just don't have 15 months to give him. It's just the way time works. The worst case for Yusuf Nurkic is that, like last year, he spends part of the playoffs wearing novelty t-shirts and being a really big fan. And by really big, I mean like 7 feet, 300 pounds, and also an enthusiast. The worst case for Yusuf Nurkic is just a believable thing that happens to people who get injured, and is that it takes them a long time to get back to what they were. By all accounts, this was the good version, whatever that means, of this of this break. That he didn't suffer ligament damage and he didn't he didn't suffer muscle damage. This was a clean break, clean fracture. And that as far as these things go, that's what you'd rather have happen to you if you're gonna break your leg the way that Yusuf did. But and we've now reached the, the part of this segment I call Caveat Corner. I don't think Yusuf Nurkic can get back to that best case scenario I played out. I laid out, but I also think it's fairly likely that he is a contributor this year. And so like almost everyone that I've done these best case and worst case polls for is that they're polls for a reason. Guys aren't going to swing super hard one way or the other, they're very likely to land in the middle. And I think that's what we'll see from Yusuf Nurkic, is that he can contribute a little bit this season, but that this is a tough injury to come back from. And it's a tough, he's a tough build to come back from a, a lower body injury. What I want to talk about in the third segment is 
what's a reasonable expectation and a reasonable role? You know, I've kind of laid out what the best case and worst case for him, but you know, now that we've reached caveat corner and I've said that he lands somewhere in the middle, what does that middle look like in my eyes? What's a reasonable expectation for Yusuf Nurkic this season and the portion of the season that he's going to play for the Blazers? All right, still Mike Richmond, still locked on Blazers, still talking all things Yusuf Nurkic. We did his 2018-19 season in review. We talked best case and worst case scenarios. I gave you my caveat that suggests that he won't be best case and he won't be worst case and he'll land in the middle. So let's talk about the middle and what that looks like. When I think about this Blazers season, and I got to be honest here, I don't see Yusuf Nurkic as much of a contributor. And I don't mean that to be my sort of normal pessimistic self. I'm not, that's not what I'm after here. I'm not after, I'm not after, I'm not just trying to rain on everyone's parade. I'm just saying that the sort of data points we have on this for guys is Paul George came back certainly faster than Yusuf Nurkic did. He came back in about eight or nine months. Yusuf is going to have 11 plus to get all the way back. Pr- probably around 11, maybe like just shy of 11, just over 10 months. So extra time than George had. But George played limited minutes and didn't quite look like himself. Of course, with a full off season later, he started to look like one of the best players in the NBA again. And last year he was an MVP candidate. So there was a path to get back there. Uh, Gordon Hayward suffered a similar injury, but that also involved his ankle, and he had some other complications uh, with the uh, having a second procedure in there. So, and and he took a he didn't look like himself for a full season. In fact, he still hasn't gotten back to being one of the best, an All Star level player, and one of the best players in the league, one of the best wings in the league. He might never get back there. But I mentioned those two guys because. My expectation for Yusuf Nurkic is that it's really, it's going to be really hard for him to get back rolling like he was last season. And that I can see him as a really useful contributor. Certainly a huge upgrade over who the Blazers' backup centers are now. Apologies to Pau Gasol and Scalabissier. And I guess Zach Collins, but he's going to start a power forward. So I think he can be an upgrade. I think he can be a valuable contributor and play a small, very limited role. But when I think about the season as a whole, I can't imagine, it's hard for me to imagine him being any more than a role player this year. Because because of how big he is, because of how difficult this injury can be come back from, and because he's going to be dropped into the most competitive months of the NBA season. He doesn't get to ramp up during October and November when teams are still kind of figuring out the rotations and who's good and who's not good. He's going to get dropped in during the Western Conference playoff race that is going to be incredibly tight in February and March. He's going to be dropped into the toughest games of the season, and so he doesn't, he won't necessarily, you know, there'll be some nights, some down nights when they'll, they'll play bad teams and he maybe get a chance to find his legs, but there won't be as as sort of big of a leash as much as or as as wide of a window for him to kind of find his legs and play he's going to have a chance and it's going to be a difficult one and because the blazers margin for error will likely be very thin around then if he's not ready 
then I think you just roll with Hassan Whiteside. And that's why I say when I think about this season, I just have trouble seeing Nurk as a major contributor. Sure, he's going to end up on the court in my sort of the way I see this playing out. But I have a hard time thinking. I just straight up don't think we'll see the Nurk of 2018-19 when he was fantastic. And in a, in small doses, I, I'm not sure we'll have, he'll even, even in small doses, I don't think he'll get to that level. It'll be a challenging year for him, and an interesting one. And I do think when he comes back initially, he comes off the bench, and they play him. That's sort of, you're looking for a specific role. I think it's 12 to 15 minutes a night off the bench, backing up Hassan Whiteside. I think he could ramp up from there. But I don't imagine him pushing towards 30 minutes like he did last year, and just being the player that he was. I think he can get back there. I think there's a clear and obvious path for him to get back there. But in my mind, with absolutely no medical background whatsoever, I'm a humanities major in college. Um, I just don't, I just don't see, I, I just have some reservations about how long it takes to come back from these really tough injuries. And in the part of the season where teams just don't practice, He's just not going to have a lot of chances to play five-on-five basketball at a high level before before being dropped into an NBA game. So when I think of this Blazers season, it's hard for me to think of Nurk as being much of a contributor. In fact, when I sort of am thinking about predictions and all these things that I've been asked to make in other places, I just can, I don't consider Nurk part of the picture. I think he can become part of the picture in the latter half of the season, but a very small part, a contributor and a role player, and a guy who has... Nights when he just can't play. But he's a big swing piece. If he is ready. And the idea that he will be ready I think is fair. He showed a serious commitment to getting his body right after kind of coming into camp one year pretty big. He's slimmed down. He's lost weight. And he's played at a level that maybe he thinks he's better at. He played his best basketball last season. He knows kind of the type of player he can be, and he's thrived with the tutelage and leadership of Damian Lillard. So there's reason to think that he'll do everything he possibly can in rehab to be ready to go. I just think, from where I'm sitting, that that's a difficult task for anybody. So I'm I'm tempering my expectations. If you think I'm crazy... Tell me on the internet, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. The other thing you can do for me is tell your friends about this podcast. The NBA season is almost here. We're a week away from media day, which means we're eight, eight full days away from training camp, ten full days away from the first preseason game, exactly one month away from opening night at the Moda Center against the Denver Nuggets. Real basketball is coming, so tell your friends about this podcast. They can find it wherever they get podcasts already. Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. I really appreciate you guys listening. Talk to you soon.